This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good morning. It's 6 a.m. on Monday, the 12th of September. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio today with Philip C. and Wong Shaoning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Very good morning. We are kickstarting another week. Second week short of September. Week, no? It is a short week indeed, indeed. We will have a public holiday at the end of the week because it is Malaysia Day. Are you planning to celebrate Malaysia Day? Don't we always celebrate Malaysia Day? Every day is Malaysia Day for me, Philip. Really? <laughs> <laughs> a celebration of all the good things yes. uh, about being Malaysian and living in Malaysia. There's so many things to be grateful for living in Malaysia, I have to say. Absolutely. Except and for the traffic jams. And sometimes the politics. I'll be the one to brave to say it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, if you say so. <laughs> In any case, uh, let's discuss or let's give a preview to our listeners about what we have lined up this morning. A lot of interesting conversations, beginning with uh, 7.15. How can companies listed in the LEAP market graduate to the ACE market? So we're going to discuss the proposed framework on the table with Dr. Wong Muro of Astramina Advisory. And at 7.30, we mark the 21 years since the terrorist attacks in New York that sparked the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. We reflect on the legacy of 9-11 in geopolitics with Middle East expert Dr. James Dorsey. Then at 7.45, politics, 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 because we are going to ask whether Pakatan Harapan will welcome fledgling political party Muda into its fold. We discuss this political back and forth manoeuvring with Ben Sufyan of the Medeka Centre. We're going to have all this and more today on The Morning Run, so stay with us. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Shade with Smooth Operator. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. Now, we always talk about how higher education needs to adapt to the needs of the economy in order to produce the right mix of skills and labor force. So what kind of skills and knowledge are needed today? That's what we're exploring this morning. And the Wall Street Journal has a piece looking at the types of courses being introduced in universities that students will need for their not-so-future careers. Yeah, so I mean, looking at this article, there were five that were identified, right? The first was entrepreneurship in the metaverse. The second being ethics and AI. The third being networking 101. The fourth, designing for natural disasters. And the fifth, building a personal brand. I have very mixed feelings with this article. Some some skills I kind of get, but I wonder whether these skills are more relevant to the current workforce as opposed to the student because as opposed to the university student, because you know they're going to take this course up, and then it's only in three, four years it becomes relevant. I wonder whether these skills become relevant in three years' time when they graduate. So you're saying that it shouldn't be an academic course? I don't think it's necessarily an academic course. It should mm. be part of your like day-to-day learning and even like you know like open university kind of working professionals kind of courses. In my view, yeah, I look at it and I'm thinking, okay, maybe some like. Like networking 101. How do you teach that? Oh, in an I, acad- cringe. I cringed I, when I, I saw that. Yeah, I was thinking, how do you teach that in a proper academic environment with a syllabus and a lecturer standing up there telling you how to network and then going for a mm. tutorial on it? I yeah. mean, it's like, what do you do? Uh, always reply emails, give a, um, a firm handshake. What is it? I don't understand it. Mm. I too was a bit, um, I mean, I, I was a bit curious about why it be, why networking has become formal. As, as like you said, it's typically something that's taught in day-to-day um, life. So what is it 
what triggered this, right? Why do people feel or why do universities feel that this has to be introduced? I mean, and we've been talking about how fresh graduates don't have that polish. Has it become such that now universities feel they need to have a formal course in order to teach that? Well, then it's communication skills. I think that's more important. So when you look at these five skills, I really cringed when I saw the building a personal brand and the networking 101. Because other three, you know, they're a bit more tangible and I think you can probably transfer them to some form later, like designing for natural disasters. Yeah, that one I I can can see, it's almost like an engineering kind of course, right? right. Or sciences kind of based course. I think that's fine. But you're right. I think maybe, but are we wearing our, okay, am I wearing my boomer hat and looking at it, you know? True. Because when you look at this designing or building for a personal brand, because in my mind, maybe I think this isn't relevant because I can't imagine making a career out of my own personal brand. But people do. That's what influencers are, right? I think that's definitely what social media has done. I mean, okay, come on. We can admit it. We all came of age at a time when social media wasn't yes, present, you know? Yes. So when social media came on board, we were already adults. But the new generation now, they're coming into a world where social media is, you know, it's, omnip- it's omnipresent. And so they come in having to just know that, oh, this personal brand is actually really important for my future. Mm. Whereas we kind of had to learn and make up the rules along the way. They're coming into a world where the rules are already there. I mean, there is some hard data, right? Where marketers will spend apparently 4.62 billion US dollars on influencer campaigns in 2023. So, there is money behind this. It's not just, you know, shocks and diddy where you go out and sell yourself, but you're actually going, you're going to be able to make it a career. Okay, so then my fundamental concern then with all the courses is that, you know, they should be about building technical depth and understanding. So for example, entrepreneurship for metaverse. Can they just focus on understanding what the metaverse is all about, the technical elements of it before you talk about entrepreneurship, you know? Maybe that will That happen. for me is, I think, the bigger thing. People should understand what is the structure of metaverse first before they think about how to monetize it. Similar logic with designing for natural disasters. I think people must understand the science behind natural disasters before they kind of think about how to make it into like, you know, a money kind of business. So that I think is what irks me the most with these skills. They tend to focus a lot on the monetization part when Mm. they don't build the core skills necessary. I don't know whether this is, you know, it could be because these are, I suspect, American universities, right? So the courses are designed Mm for you to be taken on as modules. So you're not just, Perhaps. it's not going to be like your degree isn't going to say designer not. for natural disasters or <laughs> masters in influential business. Know. I don't know. <laughs> I assume you you know, it's going to be like a business course and you take these additional modules that you build on top of your basic degree. I'm, I'm hoping. Yes. I'm yes. hoping. But there are some elements which I think, okay, not so bad because what they're trying to do is appeal to a younger group of students, right? Because it goes back to this debate they were having even here in our country, whether we're just producing too many graduates which aren't actually fit for purpose and don't serve, you know, uh, the different, the changing nature of work. Okay, I got to admit, it's like a pot calling a kettle black. I have to say, when I did my university degree, I, I'm not as enthusiastic as these guys were. I picked courses that were easy to pass. Uh, yeah, same here. So I, was, I chose <laughs> the courses which I thought I could score so I could get the degree level that I wanted. The degree level I wanted. So yes, I same. have to say, like, okay, at least people are thinking you about their careers You know what we are, Philip? We are just pragmatic people. <laughs> we are super pragmatic. So I picked in my fourth year, I did chemical engineering. I did nuclear technology because I was told it was easy to get uh, about same. 70%. Same. I did human resource so did, management because people say, sure, can get first one. Sure, can like, get first. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I did. So I have to say, look, Kudos to these guys for thinking about their careers. I didn't have that kind of mindset then. 
Well, tell, us, tell us what you think. You know, what kind of um, courses should be part of the current university syllabus that would better prepare students for the working economy? Uh, you can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. It's 6.13 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we'll take a look at Kim Kardashian's latest project. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. That was Elton John with Philadelphia Freedom. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. Now, the arguably most prominent Kardashian, that's Kim, of course, has launched a private equity firm in partnership with Jay Sammons, a former Carlyle Group executive. The PE firm is named Sky, I believe. Sky with two Ks, right? Yeah, two Ks. And there's a reason for for the two Ks, right? Because it stands for? Kim Kardashian. Ta-da! Of course. <laughs> how natural, how creative was how, that selection? Yeah, I mean, how genuine is this, right? <laughs> well, Sky Partners aims to build stakes in fast-growing media and consumer companies. And in doing this, Kim Kardashian joins celebrity investors Jay-Z and Snoop Dogg, who are also linked to PE firms capitalizing on their fame. So that's what we're discussing now. What do you make of this? Well, it's not only these two fellas, right? I think it's Serena Williams as well, so entering venture capital. My question is, is having a celebrity-led private equity firm an asset or a liability? Is it, is it, do you I think don't it see brings her, anything, anything to the table? I though? just don't see her number crunching on an Excel spreadsheet. She won't know her right? NPV DCF <laughs> models well. Shouting, um, are you going to be very disappointed when she doesn't know her internal rate of returns? Yes, I think so. She won't know what the risk-free rate is. <laughs> so I don't know how, how she's going to sit down and do this calculations in terms of what is the fair value. But I don't hey, think that's her role. Don't I, knock Kim Kardashian. She has a law degree for goodness sake. Okay, well, yes. okay. Maybe, <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe. Okay. But that's obviously not her role, right? She plays a totally different role here. I think everyone's looking at the fact that she has, what is it, 328 million uh, Instagram followers. That's, okay, more that's Im- her value. The okay? more important number is the $1.8 billion net asset value she has. That's her net worth at the moment. $1.8 billion. But that's not necessarily what's going into the PE I firm, right? It. It, I they haven't it. raised any money yet. So I think it's going to be interesting to see whether this uh, partnership will attract uh, investors and those with big bucks to actually put their money in the fund that, so that that can be invested. Mm. Um, but uh, I guess if you want to look at it, the fact that she has such a huge following, she's a big name, anything that the family has done has raked in money. And For you know sure. that the whole family has their own brand of some sort, even her younger sister. Um, I think her younger sister Kylie Jenner, I think, was the first billionaire. Supposedly, yes. With well, the lipstick. Yes. Lipstick makeup brand, right? That's how she made her money. So I always wonder with celebrities, sorry, now it's private equity. If you recall about a year ago, it was specs, right? Celebrities were all into specs. NFTs also at one time. NFT. So is private equity the next thing? Even Reese Witherspoon, I think, was involved in something That's like that, right. right? Which then quietly fizzled away. Fizzled away. So my question is, you know, these celebrities awash with capital, awash with fame, as we were talking about, probably they mastered the networking 101 course, right? And building your personal brand. And building personal brand <laughs> course. Hello, they wrote the, co- they wrote the they syllabus. They wrote the course in syllabus, perhaps they should have a Kim Kardashian University then. One they day, should have a one Kim day there'll University. be 101 Kim KK. That's the course name. I think so. But for me, the question is, is this a fad or is this something going to be lasting? I mean, we've seen it before. Specs, as you said just now, NFTs, they fizzled out relatively fast because of the nature of the markets. But private markets perhaps may have a bit more of a longer haul run to it. 
provided they have a very clear vision and mandate, and honestly, they have to be people working behind it to do the actual groundwork, right? Because private equity in its nature is not an easy business. There's a mm-hmm. lot of dry powder, number one. It's a huge competition out there. And it's not just as simple as investing in a company and leaving them alone because some private equity firms actually get into the business and help that business nurture and grow. But from what I'm reading here on Bloomberg, she apparently doesn't want, uh, she's going to bring her experience from her own business to bear when working to help the portfolios thrive. She says she's going to sit down with the founders and figure out what their dream is. She says she's not going to change their DNA, just get them to a different level. I wonder if this is a plot device for a future reality TV I show. I am sure. Very akin the, to yes. like, you know, The, the Apprentice exactly. Part two. It could be with Kim yeah. at the helm of it. I can imagine this uh, being a TV show. I can imagine, as you say, right, using her celebrity to basically amb- you know, elevate media and elevate coverage. And that's also part of the value that she brings. Yeah. I think that's where it's possible. So will she will it involve a network? That's interesting. Would it involve buying a radio station, for example, oh, as part us, of BFM. media conglomerate? I do hope she's casting her eyes international. <laughs> yes, indeed. We would send an audition tape, right? We would. <laughs> I don't think I would qualify simply based on my lack of networking 101 or personal and brand skills. skills. Excuse me, that's not relevant here. It's personal branding and networking 101. That's fashion fine, skills it? is a very separate topic altogether. But um, this character that she's joined in business with is, is he comes from hardcore PE background because he was in charge of the consumer business at the Carlyle Group which is one of the biggest PE firms in the world and mm. you actually have to thank him for the brands like Supreme and Dr. Dre Beats he was the one that brought it to mass market so I think if you know that combination so legit you, yeah yeah very legit so mm. if he's running the business and she's doing the marketing and the face of it possible why not Indeed. And perhaps this is one of those uh, uh, careers of the future, right? They're really paving the way for current younger influencers to maybe take the path that she's doing and set up that PE firm sometime down the line. Um, Would you put your money there, though? Good question. Good question. I might. I mean, for me, this is like, what for? Don't go for networking 101 course. Just work with Kim. All right. Tell Work us experience what, matters there. Tell us what you think. What do you make of the PE firm that Kim Kardashian and Jay Sammons, um, of, formerly of the Carlyle Group, that they're setting up? What do you make of it? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Would you invest with Kim K? 6.25 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. News Bulletin. And then after that, we'll look at global headlines. Here is Waterfall by the Stone Roses to take you to the news. BFM 89. BFM 89.9. That was Dear Hunter with their 2008 song Agoraphobia. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. We're coming up to 6.40 in the morning on Monday, the 12th of September. And it's that time of day where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Who'd like to start us off? Yeah, I'll start with the BBC. It's saying that the Kharkiv offensive has taken place. Ukrainian army has tripled its retaken area. They've seen great progress in reclaiming back territory that was formerly theirs. About 3,000 square kilometres triple the area that they covered in less than three days. Yeah, I think what's important is that this this recapture uh, is actually consists of two logistical hubs. Um, excuse my pronunciation, but I think it's Izium and Kupyans. And what the point of it is that it has effectively ended Russia's grand plans to seize control of the entire Donbass region. I think this is something that um, people are watching to see whether it 
reflects a turn in the tide of mm. the uh, military action there. Perhaps apparently the pace of the counterattack by the Ukrainians um, caught the Russians off guard. And there have even been some comments from uh, leaders, from from Chechen leader Ramzan yeah. Kadyrov, uh, that, um, that appear to question Moscow's military strategy. So uh, we're wondering whether this is putting Russia on the back foot in uh, the, the military action there. So to be clear, the major towns of Kherson, Mariupol, Donetsk, Luhansk still remain in Russian hands. That hasn't changed much and the predominant area of Donbass still remains in Russian hands. But yes, I think as you said, right, Russian forces really taken by surprise. And we had this conversation last week about how perhaps where the blockades by think done by the West may are beginning beginning to have some impact on the Russian military because we saw news about them even buying military equipment from North Korea. Mm. But as always, this uh, war is far from over, so we'll be monitoring developments as they come out. Uh, But other news, I think everyone has been, well, following of sorts what's happening over in the UK, uh, following the uh, Queen's uh, death last week. Uh, King Charles III has been officially uh, coronated. He's he's had his coronation. The coronation ceremony took place. That's right. And he did it, I mean, it wasn't just in London. They did it in uh, Wales, they did it in Northern Ireland, and they also did it in Scotland. But I was struck by an article that came out that some of the Korean Caribbean states are beginning to have votes and referendums on becoming a republic, you know. And that's what happened, I think, a couple of years, last year back with Barbados, where I think they voted against uh, removing uh, Queen Elizabeth II as the head of monarch. So the question now is, with this new king in place, whether you're going to see many island states, especially in the Caribbean, begin to ask to become republics. That's right. Uh, I think it's been a question that Australia has long debated, although at the moment, the Prime Minister the is... said that we're not going to discuss this yet, now is not the time. But it's definitely still on the table and a lot of people think it's a question of when not if Um, but uh, interesting that at this time UK is welcoming both a new king and a new prime minister Uh, Mm. they'll be uh, sort of stepping into their roles uh, simultaneously in parallel it's an interesting time (laughs) to be in the UK for sure and remember I think people have so far memories of Queen Elizabeth II because you know the word that always struck me was that she was a constant in the changing world that I think is what is so uh, you know everlasting in my view about her absolutely I mean you think about it she came to the throne when she was 25 so the nation grew up with her um, and she's been the only queen that a, a whole generation you knows see her face and all the money <laughs> well she is the longest reigning uk uh, monarch right so currently now the, co- the her coffin is traveling by road from Balmoral yeah. castle uh, and then it will go to edinburgh where then it will be flown to london on tuesday she will then lie in state for four days at Westminster Hall and then the state funeral takes place on Monday and it's going to be, if I'm not wrong, the first state funeral ever to be telecast live. Yes, I mean, I mean, I think you see so, such a wide pouring of affection and love for, for the legacy she has brought, you know, because I think one of the things that she's very much well regarded is that she was very non-participant, apolitical. Even her point about Brexit was kind of made a big deal out of it. Now, the Nobody big, knew what she thought, right? Nobody knew what she thought. But the big challenge with King Charles III is that I think he had very strong, he has very strong views on certain things, right? So as he, you know, rises to the throne, can he take those views anymore? It's um, it's a sign of just how different the times are from when Queen Elizabeth took the throne and from when King mm. Charles t- took t- mm. takes the throne and when uh, Prince William takes the throne as well. Because I think younger generations have more of an expectation that the people yes. they look up to will take principled positions on big issues. Absolutely. Actually, we don't. Um, I was listening to this BBC podcast on it and we have no idea what kind of king he will be. 
because it is not expected of you to comment on your future role. It's, it's considered not. bad taste because your mother's still alive, right? Yes, yes. So we have no clue what type of king he will be. But it's the debate. You don't want a woke monarchy. That's one also one slide. At the same time, there's a lot of pressure. Do you need to become like Europe and become a smaller downsized monarchy? That's what monarchy? he wants, actually. That's he has already question. commented that he wants to cut down the um, spending of the royals because if I'm not wrong, it's something like 80 million pounds will be spent on the royal family this year from 30 million pounds, maybe 10 years ago. So he is concerned about what the public perception is when it comes to uh, money spent. 6.45 in the morning. We're heading into some messages and we'll come back with a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. Al Green crooning in our ears with I'm Still in Love with You. 6.50 in the morning on Monday, the 12th of September. You are listening to The Morning Run with Shazana Shaoning and Philip. Now we're flipping through the local newspapers and clicking through the online portals for the top stories of the morning. What do we have? I have Malaysia uh, Insight and the headline is Kyrie says we'll settle contest for Rumbau seat in private because last week it was disclosed by him that Tokmat is asking him to make way for the Rumbau seat um, and he says of course he has no choice. He will follow the orders of the Amno head honcho. So apparently now it is going to be discussed uh, behind closed doors as to who will be contesting in his seat in the general election and he's been holding on to that seat, if I'm not wrong, since 2008. Uh, meantime, related to that is actually the Edge Weekly where I'm looking at an op-ed piece by M. Uh, Shan Mugam, who is of course the contributing editor at the Edge who basically says, taking Kyrie's seat away sends out the wrong message. Because he is a competent health minister. To be fair to him, he did roll out yes. the vaccination drive and our vaccination figures are very high. At one time, they were too low. Uh, so kudos to him. He's been a, a minister that... We don't know these KPIs, right? Because Ismail Sabri says they are. But we don't actually know what these KPIs are. But I think the assumption is that he has achieved them. And yet, why isn't Amno fielding him at the general elections? I guess the contention is that he raised this in public and then now he wants to resolve it in private. That I think is the disconnect. Yeah, I, feel I feel it's a little here. bit disconnected. The genie's yeah. out of the bottle and suddenly you want to do it behind closed doors. doors. I feel like um, maybe the messaging came from the top like, hello, hello, hello. You know, what is going on? We don't discuss this publicly. But the top, doesn't, then, but the top doesn't know what's happening because according to the Star newspaper, PM is yet to discuss G15 plans with Amno's top guns. I'm scratching my head. Really? It's really? His, it's his there, there's prerogative, There's no discussion right? over the plans sure among is, the largest political I, party here. I'm really? sure that's all they talk about, right? That's the number one topic at the moment, isn't it? I would have thought so, but apparently they haven't had any discussions about when this will take place, the elections. It's just like stating, oh, Shawnee, you're, you're very short, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> I am very short. It's like you stating, have terrible fashion sense, Shawnee. Yeah. No, that one is a lie, but I am clearly very short. <laughs> that one is like stating the obvious. I'm like, hello, of course that's what... That's, all you guys must be talking about in every political party. So that's something that we are going to be watching. We did speak with uh, with uh, business commentator Pankaj C. Kumar a few weeks back uh, where he did make a prediction that it's going to be sometime in mid-November. November 12th. November he was 12th. very specific, yeah. to be honest. I think he probably is in a no more than I think the Amno talk gums. <laughs> Maybe Ismail Sabri chatted with him. <laughs> Maybe Ismail Sabri chatted with Pankaj instead of talking to the Amno top guns. But keeping on the theme of uh, Kyrie and perhaps the Ministry of Health, this has really struck me. Ministry of Health is proposing employers to give a special one day off for workers to undergo health screening. 
I like that proposal actually. I think that is a good way to encourage more people to go for their health screening because yeah. a lot of times what people do is they don't they say they don't have time to do it, right? It's yes. just not on their list of priorities. Yes. But if your employers allocate a day for you to do that, I think that would push more people to go see their doctors and get those uh, pre-annual checkups that would help to curb NCDs. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting idea. I, although I would say, looking in totality, right, with Malaysia having so many public holidays and our annual leave entitlements really very high, whether or not, not they need to. Not at BFM. Okay, yes, I, I understand. That's more, <laughs> it's never that's, enough at BFM. I know, I understand. But I think broadly, someone has to look at it holistically in totality, right? How you unpack your leave and such in a whole package because you still want to drive productivity in an organization, no? Sure, 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 mm-hmm. sure. So a lot of these things um, can be recalibrated and balanced out, uh, you know, for the benefit of all. Um, maybe we can come back to some more uh, political news because we are going to be discussing this a little later. And this is about, um, I guess, what will happen between Muda and Pakatan Harapan. More on yeah. that when we talk mm. to Ben Sufian of the Merdeka Centre. Uh, but you have a story for us, Johnny. Yeah, and this is in the Malay Mail Law. Minister Cabinet in principle agrees to enacting law on political contributions. And this is something, yeah, I think a lot of us want, right? Because uh, yes. and uh, it's been... It's been brewing, question marks about funding, and then it will increase transparency. And then for once, maybe MPs will then be doing their work rather than trying to secure funding, right? This is very good development. I think one of the biggest issues with politicians all around the world is that they don't spend enough time doing administration and spend too much time politicking. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest issues, right? And that's why you're seeing, you know, all these extremism come come through, right? Because you're not getting into the business of government. So the question really now is, as one journalist was saying, they plan to table the bill at the third meeting of the fifth term of the 14th parliament in the day one yeah. Is this going to be before or after G15? I think that's a big question, whether this kind of law can be pushed through before the general elections. Um, we They had the anti-hopping law that was passed um, earlier this, I mean, just a, just a month or so ago. Uh, whether this can also be added to that ecosystem of mm. uh, institutional protections that can help safeguard um, electoral integrity and just political integrity, that's, uh, that's something to watch. Now, I'm also looking at the Frankly Speaking column on the Edge Weekly, and I like this one where it says the never passion for mega projects and this is in relation to the infrastructure link between Teluk Gong in Malacca to Dumai in Sumatra, Indonesia. I'm very I'm perplexed by this because we have so many discussions about that high-speed rail reinvigoration for Singapore and such, right? And at the same time, we had conversations that we need 300 billion ringgit for infrastructure for flooding. And just happened yesterday. 300 works million, not billion. 300 billion. Billion, okay, up to 20, 2100. So now the Works Ministry is preparing for possibility of major floods. Why are we not channeling infrastructure to support managed flood mitigation? Very exactly. good question. I Very mean, what's point. the multiplier effect for this and what would the cost be? Will this project ever pay for itself? Do we really need a bridge or link or underground tunnel between Sumatra and Malacca? Lots of questions to be answered by those proposing this. It's 6.56 in the morning. We're heading into the 7am news bulletin. Taking you to the news is Queen and David Bowie with Under Pressure, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.